T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Really, in order to find quality care, you often have to be on a wait list that's months long. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. The aggressive advocates who were looking to overrule Roe for so long, they really had no idea of the consequences they might be opening up. In this case, there very well may be charges that are appropriate. For example, trying to obstruct an official proceeding of Congress, right? That is unlawful. This is KCBS In-Depth. Over the past two winters, we've spent facing the COVID pandemic, one small bright spot, both in 2020 and 2021, flu season barely even showed up. It seems that the same precautions that have helped prevent the spread of COVID, masking, social distancing, have also helped to reduce other viral infections as well. But this year, we've started to let our guard down, and now it seems that the viral dam has finally burst open. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Keith Manconi. Flu season has arrived early, RSV is hospitalizing children at an alarming rate, and other viral illnesses are on the rise too. So why does everything seem to be surging all at once? Well, at least part of the explanation seems to have to do with the COVID precautions we've taken over the course of the pandemic. You might have heard the term immunity debt. It's the notion that as we've sheltered ourselves from COVID, we've been exposed much less often to other viruses as well. And as a result, our immune protections to those other viruses have waned. So now that society is opening back up, we're more vulnerable. Now, this dynamic is fairly well understood, but some take things a step further. They ask, if our COVID precautions a year ago are leading to more infections now, is that a sign that we've done more harm than good? Have all these precautions actually weakened our immune systems? Well, up ahead on the program, we're going to hear that the answer to that question is a resounding no. But to understand why, we're going to have to dive deeper into the science of the immune system. First up, we're going to take a closer look at exactly what an immunity debt is and how the concept could help explain what we're seeing in our crowded pediatric hospitals. For that, we're going to welcome on now Dr. Michael Rose. He's a physician specializing in internal medicine and pediatrics at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. 
and he just put out an opinion piece for Slate magazine titled Immunity Debt Was Worth It, in which he writes that, yes, children are getting sicker now because of COVID precautions, but goes on to explain why those precautions on balance were, well, worth it. Uh, Michael Rose, welcome to the program. Hi. Thanks so much, Keith. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. So just to start by painting the picture somewhat, uh, this is a viral surge that is really causing a lot of concern Uh, here in the Bay Area. We're continuing to hear about how RSV and uh, other viral infections are straining hospitals. Uh, You yourself work at a pediatric hospital in Baltimore, and I'm sure that you've been uh, seeing examples of this yourself. And a lot of people are trying to figure out, you know, uh, what's causing this? Why are we seeing this now? You argue in your piece that immunity debt is a big part of the answer. Uh, Help us understand what you mean when you say that. Yeah, the um, term has gotten a lot of controversy um, to some amount. But I think when when I talk to my fellow clinicians, we all share this sense that um, it's not totally unexpected when uh, for the past two years related to COVID precautions, we've seen uh, huge decreases in regular respiratory viruses, uh, things like uh, RSV uh, and influenza. And it's the basics of immunology that um, the first time you get infected with some virus uh, tends to be the most severe Um, And also you're the most prone to getting infected. And so we just have more, in my opinion, have more uh, groups of kids who have never seen or been exposed to RSV and other similar viruses. Uh, So normally that would be all of the one-year-olds and then a few of the two-year-olds and then a couple of three-year-olds versus this year, you know, basically all the one-year-olds, all the two-year-olds and all the three-year-olds have never seen uh, their bodies have never seen RSV, um, and so they don't have any antibodies prepped uh, and, and ready to, to help fend off the infection uh, um, uh, as easily as if they had seen it before. Um, and then adding a, a second layer to that, many people question why infants would be more prone to disease this year, um, as you know, infants always have never seen RSV. Of, of course, one factor could just be there's more RSV and so more infants are getting sick, which probably is uh, part of it. But it it seems um, we know that infants get their immunity from their mom and RSV antibodies are fairly short-lived actually. And so uh, they kind of inherited their immunity debt from their mother uh, most likely. So they did not get those helpful antibodies through the placenta uh, while they were in the womb or or through breast milk afterwards that help reduce the risk of of infection and reduce the severity of infection. Yeah. And so just to drill down a little bit more on how this is all working, what we're talking about is precautions like masking, precautions like remote work, so that social distancing, isolation, maybe cleaning surfaces or cleaning our hands more often. Through all those precautions, we have made it less likely over the past two years that we would confront those illnesses. And, you know, this is a uh, it, it, it's a, it has been a lot of work. It's been very draining for a lot of people. And a lot of people have, you know, chafed under the obligation of masking, under the expectation of masking. And so here we are. Uh, society is relatively open at this point, And I think people are very happy to see that. 
And, and so to have this outcome where now that we have put our guard down a little bit, we have these viruses flooding back in, reaching higher rates than they have in years past, in some ways, you know, it's, it's pretty disheartening. And a lot of people are asking the question, was all that hard work that we did for nothing if we have just sort of delayed these viral illnesses and now we're seeing this, you know, really uh, challenging outcome in these hospitals that aren't getting overwhelmed by any means, but are certainly facing a strain and uh, certainly also seeing a lot of children that are having some uh, pretty tough goes of it. So uh, you write, Michael Rose, that in fact, looking back, even knowing what we know now, all those precautions that we took, even given the fact that it did develop this immunity debt, you say it was worth it. Uh, explain that to us. Uh, yeah. So um, I guess so. Part of my job, I, I work as a pediatrician, but I also work as an intern. So I take care of adults and kids. And I think uh, anybody who worked in an ICU in in March or April of 2020. Um, can can quite clearly say that that there wasn't a, an alternative choice um, uh, to in, implementing these precautions at scale. Um, that before we had vaccines um, and uh, therapeutics, but especially vaccines, there without these precautions, COVID uh, simply would have overwhelmed um, hospitals and health systems to you know an, even a greater degree than it already did. And so uh, we knew that, that there was, um, so people predicted uh, there was potential risk of, of uh, some rebound increase in infections after precautions were eventually eased. Uh, but that risk definitely was outweighed by the benefits of slowing uh, COVID-19 transmission uh, until we had an effective vaccine uh, that could be used widely that, that's very um, critical in reducing, uh, um, critical in reducing uh, the severity of illness and frequency of illness that, that we now see from COVID. Um, and so I, that's the main reason that I think uh, it was worth it is that we, we had no other choice. There were um, you know, freezer trucks in, in New York City um, because the morgues were full. Um, we had uh, hundreds of patients on, on uh, well over 100 patients at one point um, uh, in our health system on ventilators. Um, and so uh, open multiple extra ICUs. And so that uh, the precautions were very much required to prevent that situation from uh, going from terrible to calamity. Um, and we're paying back some of that debt that we accrued. But uh, overall, I think that it was uh, a good debt to accrue at the time. Uh, there's one other nuance that I'd like to, to add is that um, while we're seeing increases in um, viral infections in pediatrics this year, you know, there were large decreases the last uh, two years. And so, um, in general, delaying the age at which a child gets their first infection uh, with RSV especially is, is a good thing. So we know that you know, two-year-olds get less sick than one-year-olds and uh, one-year-olds uh, get less sick than newborns. Um, and so even though many of these ki more kids were sick at the same time, 
um, which added a lot of healthcare system strain. It's very possible that overall the amount of morbidity and mortality from these viral illnesses when averaged over the three years is, is going to be less than, than it uh, would have been otherwise. Right. So it seems like we're not talking about more cases overall, likely just uh, delayed cases. Uh, speaking once again to Michael Rose with uh, John Hopkins University School of Medicine. So you discuss in your piece the fact that, you know, there are many different kinds of interventions that uh, we can take to reduce the risk that we are going to uh, get sick, get some kind of pathogen in our bodies. And some of those are interventions that we're probably going to keep doing forever, you know, like uh, treating our food or treating our wastewater. We're, we're never going to stop doing that. Um, but, you know, as, as we've seen, we're, we are in this interesting situation where folks had been masking for a while, had been taking that precaution. Now we're letting that guard down. And so we see the impact of that. We see the sudden rise in cases. So it's, it's, it's a little bit of a complicated story. I wonder if there are any lessons that you draw from that. Uh, you know, now that we've been through it, uh, what, what can we do to keep ourselves safer in the long term, given that there is this uh, immunity debt that we can rack up? Yeah, thanks so much. It's a very uh, challenging question. I um, very much agree. So I think the key things are, are notifying uh, ways that we can prevent um, infections sustainably over the long term. Uh, and when it comes to respiratory viruses, I'm hopeful for improved ventilation. I'm hopeful for improved uh, paid uh, sick leave policies and changing our culture around um, staying home when you're sick. Um, and I'm hopeful for improved uh, uh, hand, sanita uh, uh, hand sanitary practices uh, in the long term. Uh, but the thing that I'm, I continue to be most hopeful for is vaccines. Um, they're an immunology's free lunch, uh, so to speak, uh, in that they're a way to give yourself protection and pay down debt without having to um, ever have an infection. Um, and so, of course, that means uh, COVID and flu vaccines, as well as uh, regular childhood vaccines. Uh, and hopefully on the not so distant future, there uh, is the high potential for an RSV vaccine being available. Um, and then when should we put on these precautions temporarily in a, in a cruesome debt that we're going to have to pay back? Um, uh, things like masking, distancing, um, and avoiding large crowds, et cetera. Um, I think there are a few times where that makes a lot of sense. Uh, first is whenever your local health system is, is really um, starting to become overwhelmed um, to try to bend the curve and because uh, we know care is uh, worse for everybody when um, staffing is, is not adequate, uh, supplies are not adequate, et cetera. The other is when someone is transiently inc facing increased risk, um, whether it's uh, due to an upcoming surgery, um, uh, their, uh, it's their first cold and flu season as a baby, uh, or they have a booster that's uh, uh, just around the corner. And might make sense to accrue some debt because uh, it's going to be cheaper to pay back in the future. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, a complicated picture that you're putting out there, but I think that we're all getting up to speed on it together and trying to internalize those lessons that have been presented to us over the past few confusing years. So uh, we certainly thank you for that. We have been speaking one last time to Michael Rose. He is a physician specializing in internal medicine and pediatrics at Johns Hopkins. His opinion piece for Slate is immunity debt was worth it.
Michael Rose, thanks so much. Thank you, Keith. This is KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, we're taking a closer look at the science of the immune system to help understand why viral infections like flu and RSV are surging this year after two relatively mild winter seasons. So far, we've been talking about this term immunity debt, the notion that with less exposure to a pathogen, over time, our immune defenses can wane, making us more vulnerable when we're exposed once again. Now, while health experts for the most part will readily acknowledge this dynamic, the term immunity debt has become somewhat controversial. And that's because of the conclusions that some are drawing from it. Again, it's those questions that we raised at the top of the program. The thinking goes, if COVID precautions last year are leading to a surge in viral infections now, does that mean that more exposure to viruses actually makes our immune system stronger? And on the flip side, when we take precautions like masking or social distancing, are we actually weakening our immune systems? Should we want to get infected? Well, again, on all fronts, the answer seems to be a resounding, unequivocal, no. Up next, we're going to explain why that is. So uh, just to make sure that everyone is following along here, we're now shifting from the big picture questions of why are viruses surging overall to the smaller picture questions of what does this all mean for my immune system, personally? To walk us through it, we're going to hear next from Dr. Karen Landman. She's a senior reporter covering public health and infectious diseases for Vox and has written about this topic. Here's that conversation. Dr. Karen Landman, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Keith. So uh, we've been talking about immunity debt so far on the program, uh, but for this next section, there's actually an, another term that we're going to have to bring into the conversation as well, uh, because well, it, it touches on a lot of the questions that people have right now about what makes the immune system stronger, what makes it potentially weaker. Uh, and that term is the hygiene hypothesis. I know that this is something that you've covered in your reporting. So uh, let, let's start there. What is the hygiene hypothesis? Yeah, so the hygiene hypothesis is this idea that overly clean environments don't allow children's immune systems to get the education that they need to respond adequately to infectious organisms. And so, um, you know, the idea is that without that education, and I'm kind of using scare quotes when I say education, mm. because that's really a very complex process um, that happens with interactions between sort of the microbes that kids swallow usually, um, and the interactions between those microbes and their growing immune system. So in any case, the theory goes that without that education, the immune system doesn't really learn how to respond appropriately to sort of invaders. And so it compensates for this by overreacting and that that overreaction is what underlies allergies and asthma and a whole host of other problems of immune system dysregulation. So that is a hypothesis that was put forward a number of decades ago. Now it seems like some folks are extending that thought to include some of our COVID precautions. You know, the thinking goes that 
if we have been exposed to fewer viruses over the past uh, couple of years because we've been taking all of these precautions, uh, perhaps that too could have some long-term implications for our immune system and how it functions. Uh, so in your view, how well does that concept extend to the realm of COVID precautions? So let's back up for a second and talk about sure. what really what we're talking about when we talk about the hygiene hypothesis. I think what we're really saying is that our microbiome is something that we build when we are very young, we start building it and it continues to protect us over the course of our lifetimes. Now, what is a microbiome? It is the set of the billions of tiny, tiny organisms, uh, bacteria, viruses, yeast that live in our guts and our respiratory tracts and on our skin. And combined, um, you know, these organisms help, you know, help in a lot of ways with our immune system. Um, in addition to some of that education and training that they give us early on and throughout our lives, they outcompete some of the bad guys and, and they help, um, you know, help us break down um, a lot of the food that we eat. They're really, really important for our survival, you know, um, in experiments, animals raised without any microbes at all are much less healthy than the ones raised with microbes in their system. So we need these things to be healthy. Mm. The question is, what part of our microbiome is actually keeping us healthy? It turns out that most of the immunologically functional microbiome is actually in the gut. So meaning the stuff that we eat, the stuff that we take in by mouth and swallow, and the stuff that then goes on to live in our guts, that's the part of our microbiome that is really the most functional part in this whole hygiene hypothesis. That's the part that is doing the immune system training and all of these other protective things that help keep us healthy over the course of our lives. And the most information and research and data that we have about the most important part of that microbiome is about bacteria. Um, there are viruses and yeasts there as well and fungus, um, but we know a lot less about what they do than we do about what bacteria do. Um, but what we do know about viruses, it doesn't seem to show that they are nearly as important for our health as the work that bacteria are doing in this space. So that's one piece of this that I think is important to keep in mind here. Also important to keep in mind, although we do have a respiratory microbiome, meaning we inhale bacteria and viruses, a lot. Um, the, the role that those germs have and that those um, microbes have in our immune health uh, seems to be a lot less than the role of the ones in our guts. Um, and the third important thing to keep in mind here is that all of the microbes that are functionally important for our immune system's health, they're all non-pathogenic microbes, meaning they're not microbes that cause diseases. So all of this put together, um, we need microbes for our health um, and to help support our immune systems and keep our immune systems running smoothly and responding appropriately. But the ones that are helping us are ones that aren't causing disease. They're mostly ones that um, enter our, our digestive tracts and they're mostly not viruses. So colds are, are not included. Cold viruses are not included among the set of microbes that we would normally think of of the ones that help us and that are really playing an important role in this hygiene hypothesis. Mm. So that I realize that's a long answer to a short question, but that's one of the main reasons that a lot of immunologists and specialists are now saying, no, 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 colds, colds are not a good thing for you to get. They're not going to help keep you stronger. Well, when it comes to immunology, there's no such thing as a short answer, so you can be forgiven. <laughs> hey, um, 
Real quick, I'm just going to reintroduce you. Speaking right now to Karen Landman. Uh, she, once again, is a senior reporter covering public health and infectious diseases for Vox. And just to sharpen this up a little bit, I'm going to bring in the perspective of Dr. Aaron Ben-David. He's an associate professor of medicine at Stanford. He wrote an op-ed piece earlier this year for the Wall Street Journal, and he was giving, I would say, something of an opposing view uh, to what you're putting forward, essentially saying that the effects of all of these COVID precautions that we have been taking is in some ways uh, undermining our uh, immune defenses. He wrote, quote, Many measures implemented to control COVID-19, including distancing, isolation, lockdowns, masking, travel restrictions, and deep cleaning, are poised to reduce microbiome diversity in profound and lasting ways. So he's essentially worrying that in the long term, given our lack of exposure to uh, as many pathogens as we had been exposed to uh, earlier, we could expect less healthy people. Uh, It it sounds like in, in your view... Uh, he is, the, the, there is a, a disconnect in terms of what pathogens actually matter. Yeah, and I just make a small adjustment to the language there and say which microbes matter. Um, they mm. they don't all matter uh, equally, and um, there's not more value in the microbes that you acquire um, in the office, at the mall, in a movie theater, in a different country, on an airplane, in a school. There's not more value for your immune system from those microbes than from the microbes that you just acquire at home, hanging around with your dog or walking around your neighborhood. In reality, the way that, um, you know, what we know about microbes in the microbiome and the ones that seem to um, help enrich our immune systems are themselves enriched by the things we eat, um, the animals that we live around. So, um, you know, the ways to enrich your microbiome are to eat fiber-rich foods and eat fermented foods like kimchi and yogurt, to um, to have pets or, you know, live on a farm. These kinds of things are, um, are there are data to show that people who live these kinds of lifestyles have rich and diverse microbiomes in immunologically meaningful ways, which means that, uh, you know, although it felt often like we were living in a bubble during lockdown or even, you know, when many other things were open, but even just schools were shut down, it might've felt we were living in a bubble, but we really weren't. We were still having a lot of exposure to the kinds of microbes that are really important for us to have regular exposure to for immune system health. So I really don't think that that's correct to imagine that just because we weren't able to access certain parts of our world that we couldn't you know, eat kimchi, eat yogurt, um, you know, walk around our neighborhoods and get exposed to the same kind of um, immune, immunologically useful microbes that we were getting exposed to pre-pandemic. What we were preventing ourselves from doing was getting in contact with pathogens, which disrupt your microbiome because they get you sick. They require your immune system to go into overdrive. They may cause symptoms um, that get you treated with an antibiotic. Um, and they also open the door for bacteria to actually cause super infections, sort of secondary infections to, uh, to, to, you know, originally viral infections that might lead to actually needing antibiotics, which is bad for your immune system because it Hmm. depletes your microbiome. So all of, you know, the protection from pathogens was good for our immune systems. It just did leave us immunologically naive as, as uh, your other guest um, has argued. And, and that means that 
on a population level, we are just more likely to overreact a little bit more than we might have, you know, at an earlier time in our world uh, to infections that we are exposed to on a regular basis. Yeah. Well, and so I like the fact that you brought in some uh, action items that people can think about in terms of improving their own uh, immune defenses, their own microbiome, uh, whether it is interacting with uh, animals or whether it's eating those uh, healthy, uh, uh, good bug rich foods like uh, kimchi. Uh, but just to put a, a, a very fine point on it to end things out, you know, if somebody has the question, does it make sense for me to intentionally infect my to improve my immune system over time, infect myself with a, a, a virus or some other potentially uh, dangerous bacteria. What is your answer to that? No, it does not. Pathogens are never good for us to intentionally expose ourselves to, because first of all, you don't know what flavor of immune system you have sometimes until you test it. Hmm. And you may be a person who really reacts badly to not just COVID, but to any kind of infection, whether viral or bacterial or fungal. You just don't know the specifics of your immune system until sometimes you test it and you don't want to uh, test it if you don't have to. You know, we're also learning about a lot of post-infectious uh, problems, things like on the spectrum of long COVID um, that probably are more common than we'd realized in the past. And to subject yourself uh, to the possibility of developing one of those syndromes without any need to uh, doesn't seem like a good idea. I think if you really want to strengthen your immune system, the best things you can do for yourself are number one, get good sleep. Rest does make mm. a difference in your immune system's ability to respond well. So get the rest you need and eat a variety of foods. Um, it's part, part of this is about, you know, getting the vitamins and minerals your body needs to make the stuff it uses to fight off pathogens. But part of it is also, as I said, maintaining your microbiome microbiome, feeding the good bacteria that are in there that you do not acquire by exposing yourself to illness, but by, you know, eating a variety of foods um, and being out in the world and, and, you know, breathing air and just doing what you do. I think the, the best advice I would give somebody is to let themselves have the contact with the good uh, germs that are out there by eating a variety of foods and living in the world and try and stay away from the bad ones. All right. Well, that was a very helpful deep dive into our immune system and uh, what we need to know as we face these various viral onslaughts. Uh, we've been getting that from Karen Landman, once again, a senior reporter covering public health and infectious diseases for Vox. Karen Landman, thanks so much. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Stay safe. Be well. Talk again next week. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.